Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 151st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's looking to electro-dominate your spec box this winter. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, James. Uh, that was a little too sexy for me. It's too sexy? Yeah, electro-dominate. That's... <laughs> It's tantalizing. Don't knock it until you tried it. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> we're all, we're already pushing it with the swearing. This is that's gonna. It's it's really not our fault that Wizards decided to add an S and M sub theme to their latest set. Uh, Just gotta work with what you got. <laughs> our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, MTGPrice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, chat in Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. So speaking of being self-owned, um, I have a funny story. Okay. Uh, over in Europe, one of my trading partners receives a uh, Cavern of Souls box topper in the mail. Or at least we think we did. I'm not 100% sure because I haven't updated my order list. But we're pretty sure that this card that this MKM vendor contacted us saying, I sent you a card by mistake. Don't open it. Just send it back to this address. Huh. Um, we're pretty sure it was the cavernous souls <laughs> that was in the photo essay I got sent by my, my trading partner, um, earlier this week, uh, cause it would make sense. There was nothing really else there. He could be that excited about. And, um, he sent us a, a follow-up message insisting that we return the package on a certain schedule, um, and offering to cover the shipping. And I sent him a, a flippant message about how my time was worth a, a lot more than that. And there was going to be a negotiation about what I was going to charge him to get involved in working for his business. <laughs> and I was really just messing with him uh, with the full intent of returning the card, of course. But um, Karma's a bitch and decided to pay a visit to my snarky little remark. And I just got a message from eBay from some guy saying, hey, I ordered a Judge Foil Imperial Seal. And instead, I got four Foil Arclight Phoenix. Hmm. And sent me a picture of them. So now I have to have the exact same conversation. Which ones? Which ones worth more? Uh, they're about they're they're close-ish. I mean, the Imperial Seal is worth more than the Four Arclay Phoenix, but it's close. Yeah, I'd say that um, too far apart. So now we, but on my end, we know that the Imperial Seal guy is honest. He's already sent me the picture of the phoenixes, admitting that he got them. The question is whether the guy who was supposed to get the phoenixes and got the seal is honest. Yeah. And either way, I've now just put my foot right in it because any any anything I demand of the guy in Europe, I now have to be willing to be demanded upon myself right. over here. Right. I, you know, I got to say that's your 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 smart ass remark <clears throat> about not wanting to do the guy's work for him is exactly the type of comment I would make in person. But I'm not sure that I could sell the sarcasm in text. It would probably just come across as me being a jerk. <laughs> that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one to get across. I think it it was it was definitely. Uh, a jerky remark but keep in mind this is like twice removed right like if it's car gets into me in error <clears throat> no big deal for me to throw it into my mail outs for the day but to have my partner over in europe 
package the thing back up and go make a special trip to the post office. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely annoying. Now you have to turn to this guy who's kind of doing you a favor and be like, listen, I hate to impose on you. And yeah. Yeah. But now I've got to do it both for him and the people that I sent the wrong cards to in the U.S. that I'm, I guess I'm going to pay so that they send the cards to each other. Well, you are just everyone's favorite person this week, huh? Oh, it's the clusterfuck. So we'll have to unfuck that shortly. Um, all right. So what's on the agenda this week? Uh, this week we have in four segments. Segment one is our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have changed the most in price over the last week. Segment two, our cards to watch. Cards James and I have our eyes on for the future. Uh, segment three, our metagame week and review. This week at Star City Worcester, the modern open. And finally, segment four, topic of the week. We have a new Mythic Edition on the horizon, um, as was expected during the initial spoilers for the first one. Uh, and maybe, uh, maybe we'll jump into some other stuff while we're down there. Let's start off the week then. Segment one, our top movers. First card of the week, Foiled Gemstone Mines. Uh, time shifted, so out of time spiral. Uh, started around 60. They're up around 120 now. This is on the back of the recent uh, performance by Amulet Titan in Modern, which seems to be positioned as a foil to Arclight Phoenix. Uh, or at least thrives under the same condition. So remember that deck is the one that played Summer Bloom, uh, was really wild for a while, then Summer Bloom got banned, it kind of fell off the radar, and it's been making appearances here and there. I think that the deck has probably been underrepresented relative to its true power, uh, and now we're kind of seeing it come back again. Um, I know that there's that new Wayward Sawtooth, like the, essentially the three mana, play an additional land card, helping out a little bit uh and gemstone mine being a fairly rare card in the deck is moving in price again now it's a little more accessible um because it did have a judge promo but that was back in 2005 so those are quite old as well uh and other than that it's just a time spiral foil so uh 120 probably not gonna happen but i wouldn't be surprised to see you get 80 or 90 for them uh, I'm a fan of the deck. I'm a fan of the related specs, and we'll be diving into that a little later. Okay. Um, next on the list, we've got Athreos, God of Passage of Journey into Nyx. Uh, foils, in theory, going from 64 or so to over 120. Uh, I don't know if you could you can actually get over 100 for this card at this point, but um, I'm not super surprised given uh, its relative popularity in EDH, where I think it's sitting at several thousand decks if i'm not mistaken as a commander like 1300 as a card more like 5000 that's about about what you'd expect that 4000 5000 6000 is about our our usual entry point to get excited about a card and this has been you know what 5 years now half a decade since theros yeah uh and i i'm pretty sure yes it's been about that long since theros maybe 4 years i think this is because we're seeing all the uh the black white support in Ravnica Allegiance and I feel like there was one card that I remember seeing and I thought about Athreos and now that we're recording I can't remember what the card is but I definitely think of something in this Allegiance. Uh, I suppose you know what I'm thinking of do you? Not off the top of my head but we can certainly dig it out for a future episode. Um, um, the other one on, on the list is Lightning Axe out of Shadows over Imistrad. These are the original pack foils going from $2 to $4. This is on the back of seeing increasing pay, play for Lightning Axe in modern um, in decks uh, that are making significant use of Faithless Looting, I believe. 
the Lightning X, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's played in the ArcLight Phoenix decks, right? Is the kind of the big draw there? Uh, I'm checking to see how many copies they were running at the the most recent event. In the there was a classic and an open. Both were modern at SCG Worcester this weekend, and mono red Phoenix in the hands of Frank Scarin. Uh, was not running any copies of Lightning Axe, and over in the blue red, is it Phoenix deck that finished second and third? Um, two copies in the second place deck, and one in the third place deck, and actually fourth was also in it. Is it Phoenix in the hands of Jake Mondello? Uh, and he was running two. So it looks like they run one or two copies in the blue-red versions and zero copies apparently in the mono-red. Yeah, that may, that so that yeah, that makes sense to me. That's where they're seeing it because you can discard the arc like with it um, and some other stuff. I don't really like chasing this foil. This feels inflated to me, especially because Shadows over Innistrad but they had a pretty healthy print run relative to how much play Lightning Axe has seen. Plus, talking about going from two to four, that's so hard to turn that into anything. Um, as for Athreos, it's already had a reprint, right? Like we had it in Shadows over Innistrad and Time Spiral. Yeah, um, Time Spiral so this is just... not the original one. Yeah, Time Spiral is the Time original Spiral one. And Time Spiral's foils are sitting at like ten dollars a piece, and there's basically none in stock. So it's it's possible that the Shadows ones, having been more or less worked over, like there's literally one near mint copy for three dollars sitting on tcg yeah so i'm not sure that's overinflated i mean i think that could post up a 10 because where's the supply on the foil lightning axis coming from i don't know i i this still feels like there isn't enough people out there who need foil lightning axis it feels like uh somebody went in on it and i wouldn't be you know i can see three or four dollars but i don't think it's 10 i think we see the price come back down as supply kind of re-enters um for well, let's for, let's let's do a reality check on the buy list credit so apparently you can get ten dollars on this time spiral foils from card kingdom and just a dollar 17 on the shadows over in so the question will become if somebody did go deep are these buy lists going to get up to three or four dollars and justify their entry point mm-hmm. um the Althreos card by the way was tezia karlov Oh, okay. Uh, the black that white makes sense. legendary, yeah, because it's if a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, it triggers again. So I oh, think right. so they have to pay six for every creature they don't want you getting back when it yeah, dies. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Yes. Uh, so really, Nasty. they're just going to give it to you every time, right? Because they're not going to pay six life for the most part. So you're just going to return every creature. Um, yeah, it basically turns it into enduring renewal. Back when that was a busted card. Yeah. So that's my guess on that, anyways. Uh, following on that is Haunt of High Tower buy box promos. This was like the first card we saw revealed. Um, Thirteen to thirty-five for these buy boxes. I don't. Did, did somebody re- think this card is good? Like this card definitely did not read as like a standard powerhouse to me when we saw. It. In fact, I think this is the first buy box promo that we've had since like the very first one, sort of the return of them or whatever. Uh, that kind of made me wonder if it. That I looked at and just said, "Oh, this! I don't really see this card anywhere. I don't see this doing anything." Because this is right. This is this is the Nexus of Fate buy box promo, right? Like this is that card. When I looked at the, yeah, when I looked at it, I I assumed it was going to be something like Skeletal Vampire was back in an original Ravnica block, mm-hmm. which was a powerhouse in that format. Um, 
because it was just so impossible to deal with. This card is not that card. No. Um, so I, I, I don't know how these ended up that price. I'm assuming it's just that nobody has any of them for sale yet. So the ones that are posted are pre-order. Yes. Um, well, they have to be. I, I would expect we will see. I will expect this to see this price crash hard. But this is this is that card, right? And, like, I'm not crazy. You, this is only available as a buy box, isn't it? Correct. Okay, okay. Just making sure. I kind of forgot about that until just now. But even still, uh, the other ones have been anywhere from good, like Nexus of Fate, to maybe it gets there, like the Boros ones. But this one just looks janky to me. But that's fine, right? Like, we're okay with that. We're okay with kind of these as casual cards as buy box promos. This is the ones like Nexus of Fate that are concerning. Um, so whatever. I don't know. If you somehow have one, I would sell it. I don't think there's anything going on here. Uh, so if, if, you can, if you can pre-order it at 25 on TCG or something and you're planning on buying a box, you just made your box $25 cheaper. I mean, pre-sell it. Yeah. Yeah. You said pre-order. Like if you're going to buy a box, your strategy here, given how few people have them posted, is to undercut everybody by 10 bucks. Attempt to be the, the guy that sells the next copy and then you get a $20 discount off your box. You cannot sell pre-orders on TCG unless you are a verified brick and mortar store. Okay. Well, or then you can like, do it on so e- You have to have a much larger on- presence than like, because I can't do it. I can't sell pre-orders. Okay. That's good information. Um, but you can do it on eBay. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving right along, we've got Naya Panorama Foils. Um, moving from in theory two dollars to five dollars, we also see on this list Esper panoramas, both of them from Shards of Alara, a set near and dear to my heart. <coughs> Obviously, um, that one moving from a dollar fifty to eight. The idea here is that there is a content creator whose name escapes me at the moment that focuses on uh, budget EDH content, and in pretty much every deck that they produce, they've been trumpeting the use of these panoramas as cheap alternatives to fetch lands. Um, which they are, and they show up in like four or five, six thousand decks on EDH Rec. So um, there are people out there that want these. They haven't been reprinted in a while. Um, I don't think it's the kind of thing you want to be super deep on, but if you happen to have a few of them lying around in your foils bulk or your foils binder or whatever, it might be something you could trade out or uh, attempt to add to a buy list at some point a little further down the road. Yeah, yeah, I think they're they're fine if you've got them, but I'm not rushing out to buy them. You know, we'll see them again uh, eventually. I don't know if we'll see them in foil for sure, uh, but you know. Not too much doing here. Uh, if you find any of the, any of them cheap, like one of the ones we haven't talked about, it's still fine to go in on it. Um, following that is Wirewood Lodge out of Onslaught foils uh, ten to thirty. This is one of the old uh, elf lands. It like gives elves a counter or something. No, no, it lets you untap an, untap elf. an elf. Pay a green, yeah, tap the land, untap an elf. Did somebody? Unless somebody made a deck with this. Uh, I oh is this for the wait what's that new O2 is that an elf it's a Vanifar I think it's Vanifar. Vanifar she is she is an elf she is an elf what's that new O2 is that thing an elf yeah it's it's Vanifar uh, I have to go look that seems more interesting to me than anything else it is in now see okay incubation druid is an elf so incubation druid is the one where when it has three counters on it it taps as a lotus it taps for three and then you right. can use wirewood lodge to untap it but that's not legal and modern it's still only legacy no i think this is very much about people like figuring out what the next level stuff for vanifar was um and this fits snap fits in that deck yeah because she wants this thing uh doesn't make any colored mana but for a green you get to untap vanifar and you you really want to have multiple um, ways of getting her untapped to make sure you can continue chaining your value chains or 
if you're being a dick about it, win on the spot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I feel pretty confident that's where that's coming from. Now, does that mean that you can get, what did they want? $30 for a foil? Well, the thing here is this hasn't had a foil since Onslaught. Uh, Onslaught. And what were the other printings? They were like dual decks. Yeah, or I think something, it was right? dual deck and dual deck anthology and some French thing. Yeah, so I mean, Onslaught was many moons ago, like 15, 16 years oh, wow. ago, something like that. So those foils are exceedingly rare. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to hold 30, but I would not be surprised if you managed to snag a few under 15, whether you could get 20 to 25 i think that's probably pretty reasonable bet sure um following that is gaia's herald out of plane shift foils two and change to a little over seven um this is the two mana one one elf that says creature spells can't be countered this doesn't really work in vanifar vanifar doesn't cast the spell so there's no counter concern so maybe they play gaia's herald just to make sure vanifar resolves but that's odd because you're not really playing an elf tribal deck here anyways so given that wirewood lodge is one line below this it kind of makes me wonder if someone put some elf deck together somewhere that we just didn't catch or maybe it's just coincidence it could be but in any case gaia's herald's been around for a little while there's a plane shift foils, eighth edition, tenth edition. There's a promo copy, I believe, that's available in foil. Um, so there's that looks a lot like Prince, actually, uh, like the dead rocker from Minneapolis. <laughs> uh, so I I don't know. I don't really have a great guess on this one. Yeah, it only shows up in like eight seventeen hundred EDH rec decks. So <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what people are thinking here. It must have been featured in in somebody's content stream that we missed. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. is a plane shift foil. It's not like there's many of those floating around. Yep. All right, so moving right along. Shock out of Onslaught. Those foils from 50 cents to $2 in theory. That's a 350% plus gain. But in reality, that's that terrible, uh, whatever the opposite of a sweet spot is, dead spot, um, where you can't make any money. Uh, and I don't think buy lists are going to help you out on that one because there's been so many editions of Shock. Yep. Every now and then there's a Shock and I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, because we're printing standard or something. I'm like, oh, maybe it's worth going in on this. And then you see there are just so many of them. And it's like, never mind. No one's going to pay $20 for my foil copy because there's 14 of them. And they'll just choose another one that they can afford. Apparently, Card Kingdom will pay $2 cash or $2.60 for the foils. So if you manage to snap them off at 50 and picked up 10 or 20 of them, then maybe I'll eat my words. Yeah. Uh, send send me a note if you pulled that off. I mean, will Card King even buy that many? It's a common that people buy a four of, so maybe. They will take, I can tell you exactly, they'll take 14. Yeah. So you can you can make something like $25 or something if you made a little a little order. Powerful. Um, the more important shock is always the F&M foil version, which you can get like $9 cash, $11 credit mm-hmm. on. Yeah, that would be good. But those are never cheap to begin with. It's not like you uh not like you had an opportunity to get them for dirt cheap and you didn't bother. Those usually just didn't go anywhere. They were they were too expensive. Uh, I'm always these are the kind of things like if I notice it in our lists and I have no I've seen one in my collection somewhere, I'll pull it out and add it to the next buy list order, but it's not something you ever want to be dealing no, with. Not worth the effort. Um tell us about our next card, James. Scrib Ranger. Um, also a Vanifar card, um, and one we haven't seen since Time Spiral, I guess. Um, has it seen reprints? I'm trying to think if there's ever been in a Commander deck. Scrib Ranger? 
Um, nope, times for only. So single printing foil, only an uncommon, but this was still 14 years ago, something like that for time spiral. And the whole deal here is that it's flash. So played at instant speed, flying and protection from blue gives you a little bit of, of bat, you know, a little bit of utility. Um, but it's really all about being able to return a forest to your hand so that you can un untap Vanifar again. Same kind of deal as Wirewood Lodge. A lot of people uh, interested in that deck this week, it would seem. I figure it's going to be one of the top five commanders in 2019. Yeah, for sure. At least until whatever come this comes out after, you know, War of the Spark, right? That's the next one. At least until War of the Spark comes out. Um, which is a good point time to remind people that uh, the commander staples always take a while to move. So, uh, you know, once Vanifar is in, is on shelves, don't expect it to be selling out, you know, all the EDH foils to sell out immediately. Uh, players take their time to build their EDH decks. It's not like constructed players who fill in gaps immediately. So, you know, Vanifar really is an extremely popular commander. It's going to take probably a couple months for most people to really start picking their copies up um, and all the support cards. So, uh, yeah. after that is Esper so, Panorama, right? Same deal as Naya Panorama. Yeah. Panorama. Panorama. Uh, <laughs> the Lightning Bolt Magic Fest cards. These were, how did you, how do you get these Magic Fests? Where you have to be at a GP, is it, is it, which is now called a Magic. Is it the GP promo? Like it replaces a GP promo? I think okay. So. Okay, so it's a full art lightning bolt, textless. Been a while since we've had those. I figure they probably figure if they can print anything light, uh, textless, it's lightning bolt, right? This seems crazy to me, though. Like this is just about these must not have hit the market yet, or are just starting to, or something. I'm gonna have to check the dates on that. But going from 25 to 185 makes no sense whatsoever. This is not going to be a 185 dollar card. I, don't, I mean, Lightning Bolt is perennially one of the top 10 cards in modern, but that that doesn't make these relatively widely distributed promos 200 dollars piece. No, it's because otherwise everybody would just go to every GP this year. Yeah, uh, it's hard to imagine this even being 25 dollars. Right. Like that. I mean, maybe, maybe, but that seems a little on the high side. It's been a long time since we've had a GP promo that was that valuable uh, within the time period in which it was being released. Now, granted, these are much more desirable than GP promos have been in the past, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Not ruling it out. completely. Our, our facts are clearly half baked on this one, but I can tell you this much. Whenever you see the low on these. <laughs> Double check the inventory and then start thinking about whether it's your time to move in. Whenever whenever you're like three quarters of the way through whatever the release schedule is for this card, which is going to be handed out over and over again, I'm assuming, um, throughout the year, give it another few months after that and then check back in. Yeah, seems like. Some point down the road, I have a feeling that the buy list on these will rise and they will be a solid play, but I don't think you want to be buying them anywhere near the range of 25 to 185 yeah yeah i agree with you it is not now there might be a time for them it is not now it is not now uh okay and after that peak out of 10th edition foils five and change up to 70 dollars would make this a 1300 percent increase if it were true which on a five dollar starting position is quite impressive uh peak is in two sets odyssey and 10th edition um same art just different borders i would like this to be true 
because I'm pretty sure I have a playset of foil Odyssey peaks on TCG Player right now, like $100 a copy. So I am all for this being a real number, but I am not holding my breath. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you can have trouble moving them. I can't, I can't even think of a deck that plays these. I guess like Kiki Jiki is it has been known to occasionally merfolk. I'm not even sure like current versions do. So yeah, that's, that's not a card I want to be very deep on. And I would be probably double checking what buy lists were offering me on both editions. Well, uh, some guy in a 63 player modern event before Christmas played it a one of in blue moon. Uh, apparently it's a fan favorite in, uh, commander heads up commander dh duels or whatever uh some guy was playing it in blue red phoenix in modern 27 players he played one yeah that's not enough to try to snap off hundred dollar copies unfortunately yeah. all right so final card on the list even less believable geth's grimoire uh, shows up in a few thousand edh rec decks at a dark steel this is the artifact that lets you draw a card anytime somebody discards a card um, I guess opponents discard a card, probably. Uh, in theory, foils were at $8. Now they're at 112 I would just... That's because this data is sourced from TCG Player, ultimately. This is the same thing we always see every week, where the last man standing has some ridiculous price that was just a placeholder, and that ends up making it onto our list. So I think you can safely... I agree with you. Uh, All right. So moving right along then to our second segment, talking about our cards to watch, the cards we think will uh, rise in value in the short, mid, or long term. Um, I'll lead off with my first of three picks uh, related to the Amulet Titan deck that won the SEG Modern Open this weekend in the hands of uh, a local guy from Toronto um, who I've never met before. Uh, but whose name does seem familiar to me. Um, Dominic Harvey uh, took it down. Tarek Patel, Ross Miriam, and Jake Mondello were second, third, fourth with Is It Phoenix. Um, may as well knock off the rest of this. Jeskai Control in fifth, Grixis Death's Shadow in sixth and seventh, and Burn in eighth. So, Emily Titan has been showing up a lot lately. <clears throat> and part of why that's been happening is that it has uh, reasonable matchups against KCI. Um, in theory, can go KCI doesn't have any good interaction against them, and K and Titan can go off as fast or faster. So, in a post KCI world, I can't guarantee you that this deck is still uh, in a great position in the meta. But assuming that it uh, continues on, and this is like at least the second or third different iteration we've seen of this deck since uh, Sam Black and uh, who was the gentleman with the glasses that did really well with the deck, who's Sam's friend. Whoever Sam's uh, best... Justin Cohen. Thank you. Justin Cohen and Sam Black um, popularized the deck a few years ago, and now we're seeing um, new iterations. The most interesting parts <clears throat> of this new version of the deck were... Uh, three copies of Wayward Sorbtooth. This is the, like, Azusa Lost But Seeking variant from Rivals of Ixalan. 
um, that allows you to play extra lands. It's a 5-5 for two and a green, but it can't attack or block unless you have... City's Blessing, isn't City's it? City's Blessing, I believe. Just checking the wording on it. You have to ascend, which gives you the City's Blessing. So basically, you can't attack or block with it until you have 10 permanents. Um, but that's not why the deck's running it. The bet attacking with this thing is like a worst case scenario. This is just giving you Azusa loss, but seeking copies five, six, and seven. Yeah. Um, what I like about this one is it's already in a few thousand EDH rec decks, and I suspect that give it another year, it'll be in five or six thousand, which will be the tipping point for it to be useful there for as a, as a spec um, or a card to get it early in on early. Um, and if it also sees this this kind of play in modern, that will seal the deal for these foils to get from $8 to, say, $15, $18, $20 not completely unreasonable. I think your whole time is about a year, but it could be as little as three to six months, depending on how many people move in on this deck as the spring uh, and the rest of winter progresses. Um, I liked Azusa Lost But Seeking recently. I liked Primeval Titan foils recently. I like Wayward Swordtooth, and I'm not even done with this deck yet. Uh, yeah. So James messaged me earlier today and wanted me to go in on a bunch of copies with them. Uh, I'm. Well, be specific. I already bought a bunch of English copies. I was offering to. Yeah, yeah, to split, uh, split, a bunch split of... shipping on some Japanese copies that were the same price as English copies. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. A decent deal on Japanese foils. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't dislike it. Um, I guess the reason that I didn't jump on it was mm, it feels like the type of card that's at $8 and might climb to like 11 and then just kind of sit there. And it's not that I don't think you'll lose money. And it's not that I don't think you won't make money. I just feel like it, it's going to kind of sit for a little while. So you'll get there. It's just not going to be quick. I could be wrong. Maybe this thing hits eight, you know, fifteen, eighteen dollars pretty quickly, and I just, yeah, I just eat my words. I just that was, you know, how sometimes you just to get like an intuition when you look at something. Like that's just what I felt when I looked at this card. And I, well, and I also think that the part of your analysis where you think there might be something quicker is a good impulse to embrace. Um, it's entirely possible I should I should follow your lead and look at something else that I think is going to pop faster. As much as I tell people to stay focused, um, I tend to the part of MTG Finance that's fun for me is making use of the shotgun approach and still being right most of the time. But that is definitely not the route to maximizing profit. The the route to maximizing profit is figuring out what the best spec of the quarter is and then just going ultra 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 super deep. Mm um and we definitely do some of that like in terms of picking up 20 uh copies of mythic edition um you know i tend to go deep where going deep is warranted but uh i still buy 10 15 you know mid shot long shot type specs per month most of which get there um having just unloaded a huge buy list to abu feeling pretty good about the long shots but um what if I told you Wayward Swordtooth was already being offered $6 cash credit from Card Kingdom or seven eighty dollars in uh, credit for foils? I mean, that's pretty solid. Like, you, So first of all, I will say I am the last person on the planet to give you a hard time about buying specs that aren't going to move fast enough because I have uh, 
a lot of them sitting next to me doing exactly that. But that's also part of what gives me a little bit of hesitation is I have a bunch of either EDH or modern Japanese foils that sell once every, you know, once a month, maybe. Uh, so it's like, I guess, I guess it looks like a car, a path that I have been down many times. And I, I'm trying to stop doing that because even though I know that they are profitable, they tend to be rather, they can be slow if you just, if the tides of the universe are against you. Um, but again, it's really just an intuition thing over anything else. I, I don't have more great facts to back it up than what I've told you. So the tipping point for me was that the inventory is not at a tipping point itself. Um, like I think there's maybe 40, 50, 60 copies still available on TCG Player up into the $15 range. Um, and then probably another couple hundred amongst a variety of different vendors. But some of the vendors I looked at didn't have any or had a very low amount. And a lot of the buy lists, buy lists looked very reasonable given the lack, relative lack of play in standard. So for... And the other thing is, if it was Ixalan instead of Rivals of Ixalan, I'd feel a little less excited about it because fall sets are so much more populous than winter sets. Um, so small set, foil rare, already modest inventory and could end up being played as a fairly specific, um, but still widely enough played uh, staple in, in two formats. I don't want to be in for 60 copies because I think even the buy list will have trouble absorbing them from you later. But 12 English copies, I think, is what I bought last night. And if I snap up those other seven Japanese foils that we found, um, that's about as deep as I'd want to be. Okay. I, I don't think that's totally unfair. Uh, and I think you could probably do pretty well. And I think people that follow you in probably will do as well, do well as well. So um, right. I don't think it's bad. Tell me about your fit. Tell me about your first pick. Uh, so my first pick uh, is I'm hoping will electrodominate modern. Um, that was just awful. Uh, ancestral <laughs> ancestral vision foils out of iconic masters are about eighteen dollars right now. Uh, now, if you've been playing a while, you'll know that ancestral vision foils were like one hundred and fifty dollars or something stupid at one point. Really expensive. Maybe it wasn't one hundred and fifty pricey so this is quite a fall for them now obviously ancestral vision was unbanned it didn't blow up modern prices sank a little bit uh as foretold was printed i think prices rippled didn't blow up modern prices settled a little bit well now we've got electrodominance uh is it going to be is electrodominance going to be it this time i don't know uh arguably Better than as foretold? Not necessarily. I mean, as foretold is a more powerful card, you know, and as the game goes on. But being able to instant speed this and other effects is quite powerful. Um, this is a an instant speed. Spend two cards to draw three cards. Maybe deal some damage, uh, which is quite good. Um, you know, and that's the worst case scenario type of thing. So. If you're going to see decks that use Electro Dominance get good in Modern, uh, I think Ancestral Vision and Wheel of Fate are your two best targets, like kind of in a vacuum. Um, I say this as a Restore Balance fan, that that is has a great potential, but it's a little more little more specific than like Wheel of Fate. Wheel of Fate could show up in several different Electro Dominance types builds. Same with Ancestral Vision. Wheel of Fate, by the way, is already gone. Uh, people bought that card out, both... Uh, the time spiral copies and the commander copies. 
Um, so there's not really any spec to be had left, no meat left on that bone. But I do think Ancestral Vision is a is a pretty strong card. Uh, we've been down this road before in terms of like knowing that it's very competent. It does show up in modern occasionally, just not all the time. Between Electrodominance and As Foretold, you can play a deck that runs four of these and four Wheel of Fate and have a ton of enablers that let you do all sorts of silly stuff. So, you know, the worst case here is you buy in and Electrodominance goes nowhere and this doesn't move. Or maybe it turns out that uh, is it loves this, right? Maybe maybe this is insane in Arclight Phoenix because that does count as two spells, right? Because you cast Electrodominance, which casts Ancestral Vision. So you spent two cards, you got credit for two spells, and you end up with three cards in your hand. Mm, seems decent. Uh, so foils at 18 seem like they could get up to $40, $50 maybe, possibly even more. All right. There's a few things here. Wheel of Fate sold out pretty easily because there's only two copies and only one of them is was ever available in foil. Uh, Restore Balance has even less printings. That's only one printing, right? Um, and yes. therefore only one foil printing. Ancestral Vision has yeah. the recently re- been re- has recently been reprinted in Iconic Masters, and the Iconic Masters foils are much maligned. That is that is the wobbly wobbly, maybe the wobbliest of the the foil cards from the last few years. Um, Ixlon, Ixlon blocks pretty bad. Uh, Iconic Masters pretty bad. Yeah, they're bad. I don't, I don't know if I've actually held an IMA foil. At least not that they're I pretty remember. Bad. However, there's also mm. a big, huge gap between the Iconic Masters foils and the only other foil printing, which is the Time Trial foils, which, as you said, used to be over a hundred dollars, and you can still get sixty dollars credit for. So that means that if someone reaches for foils, unless they've got especially deep pockets or are really confident in the card. They may reach for the Ancestral Vision foils instead. There's also modest to moderate inventory on these foils, given that they were recently reprinted, but the ladder is pretty steep. So, you know, you set up to 50. That's about where the ladder seems to end. Um, I'm not super confident in them to get from 18 to 50, but I like them to get from 18 to 30. Um, It's not the kind of card I want to be super deep on right now because I have such a big leg because of my unique situation where I tend to ship to the US and pick it up every once in a while. Um, I want to be able to sell into this hype cycle. So if you can get, if you can, you know, order them, then pre-sell them, then ship them as soon as they arrive, that's pretty cool. Um, if you can pull it off. The other thing worth considering here is that Card Kingdom, for instance, is offering eighteen twenty in credit on these foils. So if you're snapping them off at eighteen, you have a backup plan. Um, and again, one of the reasons that uh, well considered Magic Finance can be significantly better than other investments because. Most other investments will not give you that kind of like automatic out um, that's just sitting there waiting for you to take it. Okay. So I don't think, I think that that's all fair. Uh, you know, I can't make any promises. It just, it looks decent. So, uh, and that's all fair, fair consideration. So we'll leave it to our listeners to decide what to do. If you, if you change your target from 18 to 45 to 18 to 30, I'm on board. Yeah, I mean, uh, anything within that range, realistically, is probably fair. I, I, you know, I, I'm saying 40 as in like, you know, Emma Handy wrote an article late last week on Star City on the free side. Yep, and she said, uh, "I hope you enjoy Electro Dominance now because you're going to be sick of this card in a month, or you know, in a couple months after." Allegiance comes out, so you know, I'm looking at that and going, "Okay, well, what are the if if Emma is right, what are the implications of that?" One of them is a car, this card and Wheel of Fate could be insane. Uh, Emma may be a little, maybe exaggerating a little bit, 
uh, in which case this is 30 is a lot closer to reality than 50, but that's kind of just where I was working from. Yeah. All right. So back to Amulet Titan, Amulet of Vigor um, has already been through a few different peaks and valleys um, as that deck, various forms of the deck have waxed and waned in popularity over the last several years. <coughs> One of the reasons that um, this deck is on my radar is because I love these decks that people always underestimate up front. They did it with Amulet Titan. They did it with humans. They did it with um, is it Phoenix? Nobody ever believe. Oh, they did it with Hollow One. Nobody ever believes these decks are real until they top eight and top eight and top eight, and then they eventually just become the norm, and people forget that they used to think the deck wasn't real. And that level of skepticism uh, can go both ways. Sometimes decks, you know, pop up on the radar and then fade away again very quickly and never do anything. Um, sometimes somebody uh, plays. Oh, what's the card I'm thinking of? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So sometimes your skepticism is ill-founded, and sometimes uh, that's because some guy plays Humble Defector in Legacy, and you run out and buy a bunch of foiled Japanese copies thinking that it's going to get somewhere, and then a card never shows up on that circuit ever again. Um, and other times, these decks do extremely well because the players that designed them know more <laughs> about the format than you do, and that's one of the reasons that uh, modern speculation continues to be a real thing, despite all of these modern masters printing printings and reprints and so forth, um, because new decks are coming out on a semi-regular basis that keep the format fresh and keep uh, the inventory circulating. So uh, the point I'm making is that the Amulet Titan decks uh, have several cards that are important. Um, and the other one is Amulet of Vigor. Um, and as I said, it's already moved up and down several times. Currently, you can get foils in and around $22. Um, I think they could easily make it to 35 before it ever sees a reprint. If there isn't a reprint already scheduled for 2019, then these will be an easy um, plus 60%, plus 75%, something like that before the end of the year. The other thing to consider is that as with Wayward Swordtooth, which might end up being a multi format staple amulet of vigor arguably already is it's a four of in the, every version of the amulet titan deck because it's named after it you need the amulets to run the deck um, because they untap all the lands and create all the shenanigans but it also shows up in about 4300 edh rec decks so it's got the backup plan of being good in commander um, and that is the sweet spot i want to be in with pretty much all of my specs right now is that they're good in both of those formats at the same time okay uh, I like Amulet of Vigor so much so that I wrote about it on Watchtower this morning. Uh, wait, no, did I? Uh, oh, shoot. If I, okay, so I don't remember if I wrote about it this morning, but I know I bought some this morning. <laughs> uh, after writing my article, I grabbed a... God, what did I get? I think I got a Japanese foil play set for 30 bucks a piece. Nice. Or something like that. So I bought some of these today uh, before knowing you were going to write about it. So I'm pretty much on board with you. Um, I know some people in our Discord were saying they were concerned about reprints, which is not an unti entirely unfair position. Uh, I guess the thought there is you could see it in like Commander Precons or something like that. To me, this doesn't strike me as a card that you would necessarily see there. Uh, Commander product seems like kind of a weird place for this because it's... I don't know. It doesn't really seem to fit the, what they're shooting for on those. But maybe. Um, but I do think a reprint in a supplemental product is possible. 
but and I, I wouldn't bank on that as a as a possibility, really. Um, if it does, if it does, you're still talking about foils here, which obviously sidesteps that problem for the most part. So um, I, I I already put my money there, so I you know I'm I'm on board with you. Yeah, it, and it's not ideally you want to be getting in on like eight dollar foil rares for modern slash edh like wayward swordtooth they have the biggest upside if wayward swordtooth ever gets to you know thirty dollars for foils you're going to do very well i don't think you have that kind of upside on amulet of vigor i think and i think that i'm not convinced that just because this deck is showing up in top eights that a lot of people are going to switch into it it's been a presence people have known about it um and the thing about modern players is if they have most of the cards for say jund it's pretty hard to jump over into another thousand or two thousand dollar deck um so i think there's a lot less fluidity in modern than in some other formats like commander commander players their general pattern of behavior is to build a new commander every few months or every several months or at least once a year kind of thing um that's not necessarily the truth about modern players where I can go to FNM on any given Friday and see the same guy that's been playing his living end deck for the last four years, hell or high water, not ever caring whether it was good in the meta. Well, <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I think I mostly agree with you that players don't tend to change their decks all that often. Certainly not like EDH players do where they're building a new deck before the first one's even done. However, uh, I think I have seen a lot of players show up with a different deck every week or every month. Uh, and I used to do it all the time. I mean, I was doing like goofy jank cards, so it was a little different. But um, there was still a lot of cycling through decks. And to the point, I mean, and if you ran a shop, you would buy and sell the same Jun deck from some kid four times over the course of a year because he would sell out of Jun, decide he wanted to go play, you know, Delver and then realized he didn't like Delver and then sell it back and buy John back. And then a couple months later, decide to switch from John to some combo deck, blah, blah, blah. So like, I think the wizened, comfortable play modern players tend not to jump around, but there's still plenty of players that bobble all over the place on what deck they're playing any given week or month. And some that just yeah, like to I have mean, all and, of them. And, and there must be because otherwise the cards that we talk about all the time wouldn't be selling. So the, you know, I don't think there's going to be a massive shift over to the Amulet Titan decks, but um, I feel confident that you can get up over 30 with the Amulets and and on a play set, put yourself up 20, 30, $40. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm there with you. Like I said, I bought them. All right. What's uh, your next one? My next card this week is Astronaut's Altar. Foils out of Eternal Masters instead of Iconic Masters. Uh, don't ask me to tell you what the difference is. I couldn't tell you. Uh, starts at around $13 for Foil Astronauts Altars. Uh, these were $80 <laughs> when they were announced because it is the only Foil Astronauts Altar. Uh, card is ultra popular in EDH. Currently, 30,000 decks play Astronauts Altar. So, pretty good number. Uh, and about this time last year, Ashnod's altar foils bottomed out. They hit like eight or nine dollars, and that was kind of their floor. And since then, they've climbed a couple bucks, bucks up to twelve, thirteen dollars. So we're and and most of that growth has been in like the last month or two. So I think that we're finally this finally capitulated last year, and it's taking some time to build up some steam. But we are kind of right at that sweet spot now, where. 
these cards have had a while to sit and just state and they're starting to move up. Um, and I would bet that if you started looking across the various uh, astronauts altar or various eternal masters foils, I bet you'll find this in a couple different places, but this seems ripe. Like it's ready to start moving. So at 12, 13 bucks, I think you can expect these to hit 20, 25, $30 over the next couple months. Um, they're super safe. Uh, you know, unless this card gets reprinted in a, another foil set somewhere, somehow, uh, these are at the very least going to stay stable. You're not going to lose any ground. And I would be surprised if they weren't over 20 before the end of the year, with especially with those numbers, that popularity. And, uh, you know, we're kind of getting about two years past Eternal Masters here. So nice, friendly EDH staple. In theory, it's only an uncommon, but 31,000 EDH rec decks puts the test to that. And... The fact of the matter is that it is a persistent stable in that for staple in that format across many different decks and will continue to be so for a long time. I don't I agree with you. I don't think that we're going to see this again anytime soon. I think it's on a three to five year kind of reprint schedule um, because beyond commander, there's no other demand for it. And there are plenty of non-foil copies in the market. So the next appearance could be a non-foil copy in a fall commander deck or something. Um, yep. If they come up with a brand new commander product, then we have to rethink a lot of this this thinking. But we haven't seen evidence of that quite yet. <coughs> so yeah, I like these foils a lot. Um, the inventory is low. It's at what we would call a classical tipping point, and it's probably the most reliable of all the picks we've talked about so far. Yeah, right. Out of everything, this is yeah, it seems to be the safest one, if not the nothing the sexiest, but the safest. Um, and that's probably why it took a little while for this to turn around is because it's uh, an uncommon rather than a rare or mythic. Yeah. So my last pick from the Amulet Titan deck, and I'm going to say it's my least favorite for sure, um, and probably my least favorite out of the five this week, Summoner's Pact uh, is run as a four of in the deck. Foils from M25 are out there for around $10, not tremendously deep inventory. I could it's got a little bit of EDH play and probably should have more, to be honest, um, since it tutors up green cards out of your deck anytime. I mean, green creatures out of your deck uh, at instant speed and only requires you to pay four mana, which in EDH is, is basically the equivalent of saying pay two mana, since given all the acceleration in the format. I mean, if you got to tap uh, a forest, forest and a soul ring and some other mana rock, then whatever. Um, whatever you just dragged up is probably winning you the game. So probably underplayed in Commander. Um, and if the Titan decks continue to do well, I would expect those foils to drain as well. Okay. Uh, you know, I've looked at this card a lot. Uh, I've never been in a position to bite the bullet on it, but I do think that they are positioning themselves well at this point. $10 foils is certainly tempting. I agree with you that it's probably the lowest of the five, but, um, Yeah. 10 to 20 certainly seems plausible, especially if Emil Titan continues to do well. That does that seems like a fairly easy jump to make. Just because it's there's a lot less of these than a lot of the other components of the deck. So moving right along, ta- speaking of the Amulet Titan deck, there are a couple other things I wanted to point out about it. This because this Dominic Harvey deck that won the open really was uh reasonably innovative. The three wayward sword tooth was the first part. Um, basically doubling up on your Azusa effects, letting you get two lands in play. And the other big part of it was that he stuffed two Emrakul, the Ian's Torn, and four Through the Breach. So he got the Emrakul Through the Breach uh, combo uh, in the deck, 
there are other versions of uh, like Titan Shift where it's uh, the amulet Primeval Titan plus Scape Shift. But there's no hint of the Scape Shift action here. This is instead of going the Scape Shift route, going through the Breach Emrakul route. Um, and we saw him do it on camera against Ross Merriam playing Blue Red the first time they encountered each other in like round 10 or something. And Ross Merriam just got completely blown out because he didn't hold back the counter magic that could have dealt with the Through the Breach. Um, and just lost his entire board at a position where the game could have gone another way if he'd known what he was dealing with. So uh, I, I think that the flexibility in the Titan decks to be different versions of, like, is this the Scape Shift build? Is this the Through the Breach build? Is going to give it some longevity um, because it can flex around um, some of the other motion in the meta. Um, it makes me feel better about cards involved in the deck than yeah. I otherwise would. Yeah, I mean it's extraordinarily powerful, and it puts anything else to the test. Is not a deck does not mess around. So um, I I I like that deck at all points in time, including when it was just spoiled. And Jerry T wrote an article about it forever ago, and people are like. I don't know if this is good and I like goldfish. I was like, this deck is insane and also impossible to play. So I like Amulet Titan. I've always liked Amulet Titan and I like all the specs for the most part at the moment. Yeah. So I mean, we, we listed off the other decks that were in here. It was three second, third, fourth was all, is it Phoenix? Then Jeskai control two Grixis death shadow burn. And is it Phoenix uh, rounding out the ninth through 16th? Another, is it Phoenix Jund humans, Eldrazi taxes, uh, that's the deck I play in modern when I have time to do so. Is it Phoenix, Burn, Ironworks, and Amulet Titan? So notable here is that Ironworks was 15th and 17th and 18th, but didn't crack the top eight um, or even the top 16. Um, and over in the open that they run, ran, it didn't show up in the top 16 at all. So doesn't mean KCI is not getting banned, but I think it does... Uh, you know, every major tournament that goes by where KCI doesn't top eight something, I think you have to question whether it's really um, up for banning because it is too broken for the format or because it's just so shitty to put on camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the issue of it's not exciting for players to watch remains. That hasn't changed. Uh, but clearly the deck is beatable. Um, or perhaps it's just so difficult to play correctly that unless you have the format's best players, that it isn't good enough. I think currently I'm leaning towards them addressing it, and I think the reason for it is there aren't that many players on it. I think if you were talking about something like humans, where I would guess, I don't know what the number is, but let's call it 18% of your local meta might be humans players or something. It's a deck that's been around for a few years. It's a consistent deck that can deal with a lot of the meta from a lot of different angles, etc. Has some longevity, might be around still in a couple of years in some other form because it keeps getting new new toys to play with since humans are printed constantly. Um, that's a tough, be the, t- a, a, the kind of deck that is pervasive enough that it would be tough to address in this way. But because they're, it's mostly highly, very intelligent <laughs> Uh, technical specialists that are running KCI, brewing with it and and running it effectively at a high level. There aren't that many players on it. And I think that they they know better than anybody the power level of the deck and are probably expecting the axe. And I don't think they're going to be too put, their nose isn't going to be too put out of joint. And even if it is, um, they're not going to have the kind of vocal power to uh, 
for it to matter. Wizards will happily suck up the damage from that small cadre of players to make everybody else happy and gain the opportunity to shake up modern a little. Like anytime you can kind of like give the format a shake and see what what falls out. If there aren't really like too many terrible consequences to do that, I think that they'll take that opportunity when when it seems like they should, especially if it helps with coverage. Oh, see, I don't know, because if there aren't that many players on it and it's not really spending that much time on coverage because there aren't that many people on it, and it's not crushing events, then what do they gain by getting rid of it? Like you might fix a couple turns and a GP here and there that might have gone a little long, but those happen all the time anyway. So unless it's an epidemic, it's not really out of the ordinary and the optics of banning anything ever is also a little gross like they really don't want to have to do that for the most part they'd much rather unban cards and ban them uh and there are plenty of decks in modern that are miserable but they don't see enough play to warrant wizards paying attention to them uh and if they feel like kci isn't seeing enough play isn't doing well enough in events then they can just leave it alone uh because it's not you know, the damage it's causing by existing is not greater than the feel bad to having the banned cards in modern. I could see, I, I think you can kind of look at that as a justification for leaving it alone under at least as far as things have gone right now. But uh, what is, the, I, I don't know, what is the point of trying to guess at this? I feel like that's, it's pointless ultimately to try and figure this out. Um, the big story here is definitely the Is It Phoenix all over the place. This is continuing to do well. Uh, Wizards is going to give this some time to breathe because it's a pretty straightforward deck. They want people to be able to play against it. Like what You can't be angry at this deck at attacks with creatures and cast spells. So uh, it has to be really busted before they'll go after it. Other than that, the Amulet Titan, not too much floating around in here, I guess, that I'm seeing. Um, just a, really, That's a lot of Is It Phoenix, damn. Slides at Phoenix. I wonder if they would play Electro Dominance in a social vision. Probably too slow, right? I, I, I think I don't think anybody knows what actually is going to happen with Electro Dominance because they're just getting into the testing. Um, we're going to start to see that unfold in the next couple of weeks as the first slew of articles where people have actually run it through a league um, comes out and they start saying, "Yeah, you know, as we're told, it's too slow, or you know, restore balance doesn't work because the meta is shaped like this, or whatever." Um, and it's I have a grab bag of all of the above. <laughs> the only one I haven't bought recently is Living End. I bought some Ancestral Vision, or I, and I'm still sitting on some from before. I have some uh, Restore Balances I picked up overseas. I have some Wheel of Fates that I picked up overseas and some Wheel of Fate foils that were low-hanging that I found in North America. Um, because even if Electro-Dominance isn't the final piece of the puzzle, the fact that we now have Electro-Dominance and As Foretold means you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. If it, if it doesn't quite get there and gets like stuck on the fringes, Sam Black and Justin Cohen can come around and figure it out in six months, or another card could show up that finally tips the scales in the direction of it being a serious deck, and at which point it might be a very serious deck. Like I, don't, I think a lot of players that might have not been playing for that long and have never really cast ancestral visions or seen too much of that, seen what like three card acceleration can look like if it's extremely cheap, or even more so what happens if a wheel of fortune effect goes off and the other guy has only played like land something like land amulet. And then you go this, this, that, the other gut shot, surgical extraction, my hands empty, electro dominance, uh, off simian spirit guide on turn one and then wheel. And I'm at back at a full hand. That if if that can be made to work consistently, it's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, I mean, 100% agree. Like, that's the whole point of it. And that's, you know, it's funny to think about that Gorio's Vengeance, like that deck, the initial design uh, that the uh, gentleman, I don't remember his name, uh, the first one that kind of showed up with Nourishing Shoal. Every card in that deck had been legal and modern for years. Like, there was no new tech that suddenly made that deck playable. It was just somebody putting the pieces together. So even if we don't see Electro Dominance right away, there still might be the necessary ingredients. It's just going to take some time for it to percolate. Sure. I don't know. The thing about the Phoenix deck is there's another version. Mono Red Phoenix is what won the Open. Sorry, not the Open, the Classic, which is the smaller side tournament um, at the SCG Open. Um, and that's the red version that has Arclight Phoenix, of course, Bedlam Reveler, four Monastery Swift Spear, and three Soul Scar Mage. So seven standard pedigreed one drops, uh, Arclight Phoenix and Bedlam Reveler, and then a whole bunch of rituals and Manamorphose to do, and maximize velocity and tormenting voice to just like blow through a bunch of cards and get there. Um, so it's interesting that there are multiple versions, like Phoenix is that good that you can build it in different colors. Um, the rest of that top eight was Burn, Titan, Shift again, two more Grixis Death Shadow again, Affinity, Death and Taxes, and another Jun Death Shadow in eighth. Um, I would really love to see Jun Death Shadow come back to the forefront because I've got way too many Traverse the Olvenwald foils that are <laughs> sitting around. Uh, yeah, that would be something. It feels like we're a little past that, but who knows? Um. Yeah, so it'll be fun to see where all this goes. I'm looking forward, at least for now, to see what happens with Electric Dominance. I don't know what will actually come of it, but hopefully something cool. It's it's the big it's the biggest hype train of this reveal season, I think. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Keep in mind, we had the same hype train on As We're Told, and I've been sitting on those ever since. Um, but those foils are starting to move. I suspect that I'll probably sell through at least a playset or so this week at a. a modest to medium profit and then wait and see what I want to do with the rest as this, as this story continues. I I don't have any as for tolls at the moment. I don't think I'm pretty sure I did not end up getting any, but I'm kind of thinking about trying to find a place that or two here in the very near future, just on the off chance. Hey, is uh GP Toronto modern? Uh, let me look that up. Because that's the, we have that like next month, right? GP Toronto is February eighth to tenth, and it is modern. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to. Uh, man, do I have to build a stupid deck? <laughs> you can just borrow one. Well, but I want to build a. I know I would normally wouldn't bother. Oh, you want right? to build like, electro dominance and put it to the test? Yeah, yeah, like maybe I should play Electro right. Dominance. Is it, well, God, what is the entry fee on those Crazy, things now? I'm sure. But it's in Canadian dollars. Like, yeah, it's still, it's not irrelevant. Like, it, I, I want to bring an Electro Dominance deck to GP You can play Toronto, side, side events. But I, yeah, try to catch yeah, people I could, but, you know, yeah, it's just a little less fun. You so know? The, the modern main but, event is eighty nine ninety nine Canadian. Oh, $90 Canadian, divided by like 90... 1.36 or something. Okay, so uh 60 at, at best $60 like six, US. 66 That's... US or something. 
However, that does get you the lightning bolt. So if you believe that's a $20 card, then that's $46. Uh, you get a beanie. I know you wear those every day. Um, you get six boosters of Ravnica Allegiance. So you're still you're still paying like thirty to thirty five dollars to play in a GP. Ninety of God's weirdest colored money. Ninety Canadian dollars <laughs> to play two rounds of Electro Dominance before I drop and go get dinner. Or you could just play a bunch of five dollar side events and attempt to like spike one of them. Yeah, I mean that seems like you're gonna get a lot better testing in doing that anyway. Yeah, uh, I guess it depends on what the value on that is. And then I have to find the deck, and then I actually have to like play games with it before the event so that I know what I'm doing. Because trying to play that deck blind is going to be pretty funny. Miserable. Probably pretty funny, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if our listeners if our listeners want to stake me here, <laughs> yeah, right. that'd be fine. <laughs> that, that, that'll be the uh, next, next level dick move for MTG Finance is we just start trying to spike cards we like get get funded, get our decks funded by people that are investing in the relevant cards, and then we try to get on camera with them. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm on board. That's fine by me. Sounds amazing. All right, so Mythic Edition, Ravnica Allegiance, Mythic Edition Two, uh, predicted. Spike that ball. Totally coming out the yeah. month we said it would. Uh, people said it was going to be they were going to take a breather they did not take a breather they're addicted to this premium product money train uh probably the most notable part of this set versus the last one is that where in the first version we had to fairy hero of uh dominance dominaria dominance both are both apply and lily on the last hope uh, both pretty solid modern cards um, to fairy, especially kind of in an ascendant position as that was announced. In this case, um, I think they thought they were doing the same thing by giving us Karn Cyan of Urza, which people have already kind of forgotten that like spring last year, that was a big deal card. Yeah, like, I've been waiting for that to come back, right? Like it feels like that should be a larger part of the format than it is. Yeah. And it's funny because... Yeah, I, I think that they thought Karn was going to be equivalent to Teferi um, when they planned this out. Um, but given his current position in the meta, um, the response to this one has been lukewarm. I think people see this as a lot of mediocre kind of situational planeswalkers, and especially the, the competitive players that don't play Commander EDH. There's not a lot for them to chew on here because they think, well, maybe I'd need a Karn. If you're not playing uh, like Vintage, you probably don't need a Dak Faden. Um, However, I wouldn't sleep on this set. People need to... I'm going to say the same things I said about the last set, which is that this is eight masterpieces for $25 a piece, and you're getting them for less than $300, and you're getting 24 packs as well. So all told, you are... Actually, it's like $250, right? So you're basically getting the packs for $50, and you're getting the Planeswalkers for $25 a piece. I think more people will buy this one. I think they will print more of this one. I think this one will be less popular. I still think it will make us money in the long term. You think uh, you think they're going to print more? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think that the, because whatever sold out last time, why not go ahead and increase it by 20 or 30% and see how it goes? That's kind of like the whole point of selling product is that you'd like to sell more the next time. Um, 
And it's important with the premium products that it not be sitting around on shelves. So there's a balancing act there. They don't want it to get stuck in the pipeline because otherwise you end up in the same situation as the master sets where the first one sold out really easily. That was in 2013. 2015 sold pretty well, but it had quality control issues. Then we get into this period where 2017 was great. But then Iconic Masters and M25, people were disappointed. And so they rebound back with, you know, Ultimate Masters to try to clean things up. Um, in this particular case, I see a lot of value here. Like, I think Karn Cyan of Urza will still get his day, even if it's not in standard. Um, it's a solid EDH and potentially uh, a modern card. Affinity runs a couple copies uh, in various builds. Tamiyo the Moon Sage, great art. Uh, Good EDH card. Soren Markov is a solid EDH card because it makes opponents' life totals become 10. Um, Jaya Ballard has solid art, not particularly relevant card. Jaya who? Jaya Ballard. Blard? Jaya Blart? Ballard. Jaya Blart, Dominari Cop. <clears throat> um, Ajani, Mentor of Heroes, is a strong EDH card because his he can gain you 100 life off his ultimate if you've got doubling season in play. Um, I, I I wonder if um if the real sleeper here is uh, Kaya. Because that's, yeah, so she's that's interesting. A, yeah, so Kaya is being underestimated. The art is awesome, um, and well, I said underestimated. The, the correct thing to say is I don't know how good that card is, <laughs> so I'm not sure if it's being over or underestimated. Um, but I would say it people have felt underwhelmed about it. So I would say that on average, people don't think the card is good. Um, if it turns out that it's better than people think, then that could easily be a sleeper. Domery is pretty clearly standard only kind of thing um, with maybe some EDH play down the road. The question is, what will buy lists get to on these? Because if they get even 20 or 30% above the $25 a copy and you end up getting to keep the packs then it's still going to be a slam dunk for everybody, even if it's not as crazy as the first Mythic Edition where I basically doubled up in two weeks. Um, I don't intend to overextend on this one. Like, I'll probably try to get six, maybe eight of these, but I'm not going to get 20. Um, just because I think that the market's reaction is different this time and the way that they're being distributed is different. There's going to be a massive glut of inventory this time around because it's all being sold online through Hasbro's eBay store. So... Uh, you can rely on that store to be reliable because it's eBay. Um, but it means we're all going to be buying at the same time. And then lots of people are going to get nervous that it doesn't go up as fast as the other one. And they're going to try to flip it. They're going to undercut each other and the prices are going to crash. The perception is going to link up between the crashing price and the quote unquote mediocre planeswalkers. And then they're going to languish for a long while. And then the other thing that's going to happen is that another premium product is going to get announced and it'll eventually be off the radar. And some of these will creep up because they get targeted or drained or a combination of the two. And eventually they'll probably make you some money. So I don't think I want to be super deep, but I am. I think people are sleeping on the value of Dak uh, and the value of Karn. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Kaya. I'm pretty much on the same page. I think overall it's a little less thrilling of a set, uh, less obvious than the first one was. I think some of these Planeswalkers could quietly be better than people think. Kaya, for instance, uh, Dak is probably going to be um, still appealing. He's in a zillion cubes. He gets played in Vintage. Uh, we've seen Vintage and Legacy surprisingly move card prices in a way that we wouldn't expect. 
Um, so those are the big ones. And then, you know, Soren's is cool and EDH. Uh, Tamiyo too, good see some reasonable play. So overall, I'm on the same page. I think that it's not as good as the first one, but still pretty reasonable. If you can get these at the MSRP where you're basically paying $25 a card, I think that's really strong. The number of these that sit below 25 tends to be very low. Um, it's also very rare that Wizards overprints a set like this. Um, you know, how many times does that happen versus them underprinting? Which, you know, if you just go with past performance we can expect there to be not enough of this to meet demand essentially uh i agree that you're probably going to see a huge glut of them right off of the bat but that will probably shift from the in from the hands of people who bought them to the people who wanted them pretty quickly um and then it will just kind of depend is there more pent-up demand for this and that turned out there was on ebay we won't know yet uh but I, I and I, I'm so I'm also not going to go super deep on them, but I wouldn't mind having a couple in reserve because I think it's a pretty reasonable fallback, especially if Kaya becomes very popular or uh, it turns out that there's a lot more demand for DAC than we anticipated. So I think the floor on these is so low, like you're not going to lose money. Uh, and the ceiling is, you know, an another double up. Um, that's pretty cool. And I also like the fact that apparently. The large, the greater finance community is kind of not a fan of this, which means that most of the boxes that are going to get bought up are going to go, are more likely to go to people who want them rather than people like James and I who are trying to score them for resale, which will kind of just expedite the whole process, uh, which would also be nice. Well, and uh, one, one of the factors here that makes it less attractive financially, but better for the community as a whole is that they're offering international shipping because the distribution... Uh, centralized distribution they're using is going to be through eBay, which means they can use their global shipping program. Um, so they can just ship all of these to eBay's global shipping warehouses and have them passed along. Um, because of that, shipping will also be a lot cheaper than it used to be on Hasbro Toy Shop, where like, sure, Canadians could order the San Diego Comic-Con Planeswalker sets, but they had to pay like $40, $60, $80 shipping, depending on how big their overall order was. Um, this I did some did some quick math on similar sized items in the Hasbro toy shop on eBay the other day, and it looked like from Europe to Japan, you were probably looking at somewhere between twenty and thirty dollars shipping. So that means that if people really want this, they'll be able to get it, and it won't be anywhere near as easy to export these to those countries um, after the fact. However, if this thing, one of the things that does that might counter that is that. Um, when all the inventory is sold in the first few days, if that sells out and doesn't linger in the eBay store, then the tables turn really quickly. Because the thing with the GPs is there wasn't like a huge mad rush to go get it because people figured, oh, I'll just, if I'm going to one of the GPs, I'll get it there or I'll have my buddy pick it up for me there. And so you and I were able to do a lot of deals with people that were going to GPs where they knew it was there and they knew it, you know, it was kind of valuable but a lot of people didn't have any problem picking them up for us for a minor uh, fee or whatever and or selling the flipping them for like minor gains and then passing that along to other people um whereas this time if it lingers it's going to repress the price for as long as it takes for it to sell out but as soon as it sells out you should start to see prices climb pretty quickly as long as the print run isn't significantly larger than the demand profile associated with the last version mm -hmm. it'll be it'll be curious to see how this goes i remember you and i were pretty lukewarm on 
was it this one that if it was this one we were lukewarm on at first and then we kind of saw how fast the supply drained and our opinions reversed really quickly uh so you know we're, we're kind of already on that page this time and I, i'm gonna be real curious to see how long that ebay store stays available for and if it sells out you know in the space of an hour or even less then i'll be like okay time to go look for the people who are already listing theirs for resale at 30 bucks more a copy because it turns out they're way more value rare than we thought they were if they sit there for a day i'll be like eh, all right just gonna stash these now, the other angle here is what we talked about when we first prophesied that this was coming, which was that it might make the first Mythic Edition more valuable. If the second Mythic Edition's print run is higher and the cards are less desirable, that it goes without saying that there are still going to be tens of thousands of people, or at least I would guess that the print run for this is somewhere between ten and 20,000 sets, maybe as high as 25,000 if it's, you know, since there, there's some global reach to this this release. Um, and some some small much much smaller percentage like five or ten percent of that might recirculate in the market most of it will just be bought and kept guys like my dad will buy a copy or two copies and just stash them away in the closet nobody will ever see them again um those people if they missed the first one they may feel compelled that they need to finish the collection and get the other set um so i think that i don't recommend running out to buy the first edition of myth first mythic edition like in a big hurry or anything um to try to make a bunch of money on it but if you want one for yourself i probably wouldn't hold back because they're not going to get any cheaper as a result of this like these these cards don't compete with the first mythic edition they enhance it um and i have to i i have a strong sense that we're going to get yet another version of this um potentially with something like the jace the mind sculptor art that i predicted i thought jace the mind sculptor was going to be in this one because there's art that's been produced for him that showed up on the pro 25th pro tour play mat that no one's ever seen show up on a card anywhere which leads me to believe that that might be who shows up in the third one which would make sense because jace hasn't showed up in the plot yet right like the the uh, gatewatch hasn't shown up to battle bolas which is almost certainly what this third set is on Ravnica is devastation on Ravnica Ravnica th- through some major cataclysm as Bolas's grand plan snaps into um, uh, alignment and a big battle goes on, somebody dies and blah, blah, blah. That seems like a pretty good set to have, you know, uh, what was the, what was the name that was released? War for of the Spark, There's I some... believe. Right. War of the Spark. So War of the Spark Mythic Edition with Jace the Mind Sculptor heading heading it up. I could easily see that being the case. And if we do get three in a row um, with 18, uh, 24 Planeswalkers total, then you better believe that people are going to be trying to complete those sets. So I think holding Mythic Edition or if you can get, you know, 550 to 600 for your sets and you want to get out, and you've got something else to roll it into. Great. But if you aren't can't be bothered to unload it quickly, then I don't think you have to worry. I think a hold into the next three to six months to see how this plays out is going to be totally fine yeah i like yeah i do i do think we're going to get the third one in uh war the spark jason mind sculptor i don't know if it's jace that jace they might go for one a little a a different guy a different jace i should say um could be a jace yeah yeah that might be their their standard planeswalker right like they, they kaya you got kaya and domri from this grouping as the standard planeswalkers it could be a new ravnica jace and that's 
Yeah, like Jay, Jay, Jace the Guild Pack Awakened yeah, 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 or something. Whatever. So um, they could go that route for sure, uh, which would still be appealing. You know, it's still going to be a Jace, still going to be, you know, rel- pop, possibly quite popular. So I do like it. And, I, and I, you're right on track as well that these don't compete. They cooperate. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick some up. I'm not as googly eyed for it as I was for the when it came time for the first one. But I do still like the outlook, um, by the way. I don't know if you caught this, but I guess Domri's there's flavor text somewhere in the set, not Domri, that Dovin Bon was setting up some sort of arrangement where he gets all the planeswalkers on Ravnica. Like he's like, oh, good. All six of them are finally here. And he refers to Nicol Bolas by name, uh, who we haven't seen yet. But he does talk about him being on Ravnica. And also, did you see that one card priest of the forgotten gods? It's the so yeah. people realize that she looks a lot like the apocalypse logo, which was the symbol of the Phyrexians. So they're talking about uh, whatchamacallit, like, oh, maybe that people on Ravnica know about the Phyrexians, and maybe Dobin Bond is trying to open a portal to Mirrodin or something where uh, we might be able to pull in the Phyrexians to Ravnica, and who knows, but. Curious where that all could go. So we could see or, or, Rav- or Ravnica is some slow burn Phyrexian project that's been going on for millennia, like building this like um, urban terror landscape that it's going to be all set to be converted. Yeah, and we, completed. It has been a while now. It has been Scars of Mirrodin since we've seen the Phyrexians. And that was seven years ago. Scars of Mirrodin was after Zendikar. Eight years the, ago. The other... The other option I was thinking about the the Forgotten Gods or whatever was that again, like on uh Amonkhet, that Bolas was was the Forgotten God. Um, that Ravnica is like part of his grand scheme. Um so I guess we'll see how that plays out. All conjecture at the moment. Um do you want a final note on Mythic Edition, uh echoing what I sent you in Twitter today, that uh Alpha Beta Unlimited uh Abu Games were offering the equivalent of um, something like 640 plus in credit for the Mythic Edition Planeswalkers, letting you keep the packs. And if you apply my recent estimate of what their retail, pr- like given that their retail prices are tend to be a little higher than normal, um, I usually value their credit at 0.7 on the dollar um, to figure out what I, actual buying power I'm going to acquire. And even uh, applying that 0.7 valuation, that would still be like getting 452 uh, or 453 in uh, real uh, dollar buying power on their site, which is pretty impressive, actually, if you got in like close to 300. Yeah, that's pretty, that's decent. I think I'm still, I think I'm going to be greedy and hold on a little bit longer. I mean, I've been in this long. I'm not in a rush. Uh, but I do think that that's definitely a very fair out if you are looking to turn these around anytime soon. Um. If you're not in the position where you can comfortably sit on yours, it doesn't seem bad at all. And, you know, I, I will echo what I have said in the past, but, you know, James, I, I have been using ABU to buy cards for EDH decks for years and years. And I have always been a fan of them because their buy list, is, buy list tended to be quite solid and their retail prices were quite good. It seems like they may have pivoted at some point. Uh, I, you know, I hadn't bought some EDH cards for a while. And then James started talking about ABU and about how, uh, the retail prices are really high, which kind of surprised me because I ended up buying most of my cards from them eventually because they were the most competitive, especially with shipping involved. So I don't know for sure, but I would ha- 
it feels like you could probably still find some pretty good deals in their inventory if you know if you kind of look around at some odds and ends you might be able to find good prices which would then let you get full value for your credit which would be awesome but that would probably take some time to discover so just just be aware of that yeah all right so uh the last thing i wanted to run uh or throw by everybody that isn't already in the pro trader discord where i was uh having this uh running this thought experiment this afternoon um was the concept of a partial ownership scheme for high-end reserve list cards. For, and this would be targeted at people who are interested in owning a piece of the history of Magic the Gathering, perhaps in the form of a you know, $10,000, $30,000 Black Lotus or something, um, but know that they're never going to have the kind of funds to pick it up for themselves, given how those prices are accelerating ever upward. Um, I was considering a, a structure... Um, as a thought experiment, um, not something I'm planning on doing uh, by any means, at least not until I felt like the bugs were worked out. But I thought this was interesting for people to roll around in their heads and figure out if they would participate on either side of this. So the seller of the service basically says, um, here's a buy list of, say, 30, 40, 50 cards I'm willing to take in exchange for crediting you at a discount into partial ownership of this Lotus, which I either I'm going to acquire or have already acquired and currently hold. So let's just say for the, keep it simple, they already own a BGS 9.5 unlimited Black Lotus or something, and they value it at whatever, $20,000. Um, I'm going to sell uh, 40 shares of this Lotus at $500 a piece, and you have to send me $700 worth of market credit to get your $500 share in the Lotus. Are you waiting for me to respond here? Yeah. That's that's pretty uh, much the whole scheme in a nutshell. Well, this is, I guess, ultimately not actually that different than the way we treat magic cards in general. We tend to think of them as stocks, right? Like magic cards are stocks. But we've always kind of thought of it as each card is a stock. But if you have cards that become so valuable that they sort of break that model, now you're just looking at instead of one card being one stock you're, you have, or one share, I should say, of a stock, now you have one card is, is worth multiple shares. Uh, <laughs> I suppose, I feel like it would be difficult to manage that, especially over a long period of time. Because like, if I own a part of your Lotus, but like, if I'm in it for the long haul, like 10 years, 15 years, I mean, it's going to kind of be difficult for me to keep track of like you and that card and the value and yeah. my ownership of it. And then what, hap what happens if I want to sell it? How, like, do you, am I guaranteed that you as a physical holder of the Lotus have to pay me my percentage of the card at any given time because it seems like it puts the guy who owns the lotus on the hook down the road to come up with a lot of money yeah so some of these questions were already floated in the discord and and i threw answers back that i thought uh, nipped most of it in the bud the uh well that's I, what you get for talking to me about something that i didn't read uh, <laughs> no but i think i think it's interesting to hear your perspective without having read it um and i think those questions are good they were good the first time they were asked and they're good when you're asking them because uh, a, I think it has to like the this. If you want to keep the contract simple, and I think you absolutely do, and you want to not run afoul of like SEC rules about selling investments, 
um, you really need to keep it a like pretty casual friends and family kind of thing. Um, you know, known associates or contacts or people that trust you. I could probably pull it off. Somebody like an Evan Irwin or a Cedric Phillips or like one of the vendors themselves could probably pull it off. Um, as long as you're phrasing it in such a way that, that you're separating the sell into the buy list as from the, uh, purchasing of the object because purchasing an object with no claim of return is not an investment scheme that would run afoul of the SEC. And I think that's what you have to do here. You can't you can't run this as a throw up a single page website and be like, ah, you want this partial ownership of a black lotus. It's going to be guaranteed 37% a year or whatever. None of that's going to work. It's all illegal and you can't, <laughs> you're not going to want to do it. Um, instead, you're just going to say you're going to have, I'm putting up 40 slots at $500 buy list value each send me those cards and your name gets added to this list which is going to be publicly available the whole time our hold period and there has to be a hold period i think is going to be three years minimum at when three years minimum comes up the 20 people involved or 40 people involved vote whether they want to sell or not and at what price and they can do that every quarter or every six months or whatever keep it you have to keep it simple because you want the admin of this whole thing to be really really like not a big drag on on the profit margins and what the seller is getting out of all of this is they're taking on a bunch of cards that they believe are going to accelerate even faster than mm-hmm. the Lotus, right? Because otherwise, they would just buy the Lotus and hold. Um, the the re- way I came around to this is that I think everybody thinks, you know, like if you think about the, like the Sigmund Offresser um, strategy for Magic <laughs> the Gathering investment, it tends to be reserve list, reserve list, reserve list all day long. And and because it is the only thing where you can hang your hat on it and say they are definitely not going to reprint this. I'm not going to get blown out on this at least for the as, as long as the game overall is healthy. So but my counter to that has always been sure, true, but aside from the occasional major spike which we did see last year, but for years before that a lot of those cards were pretty stalled out and for years after they may be as well. Um And as something becomes more raw dollar value, more expensive, the harder it is for it to double. It's a lot easier for a $20 card to hit 60 than it is for a $10,000 Lotus to hit 20, a 20 to hit 40, a 40 to hit 80, and so on and so forth. And we are seeing significant ratcheting on the Lotuses. The, uh, I'm a, I'm all too aware, given that I traded my unlimited near mint Lotus for about 5,000 worth of Bitcoin, which was worth about 12,000 a few weeks later and then I got greedy and never sold it. Now I basically got half the value of the Lotus when the Lotus has doubled. So I'm down like 75% from where I could have been. Um, so I'm well, well aware um, that Lotuses uh, have done very well and will continue to do well. But I suspect that they will do less well overall um, than a basket of the best specs with the with the best possible returns. And I think the benefit from the buy, from the partial ownership side is I'm never going to have enough money to buy this myself. It's cool to be able to go to my playgroup or my FNM and be like, yeah, I'm like a 120th owner of a Lotus. It's better than being a 020th owner of a Lotus. And especially if you gave up some cards out of your modern EDH cube collection or whatever that if you're being honest with yourself are probably just sitting there collecting dust and you're, this is aimed at people that are probably too lazy to have sold them in like ever gotten around to selling them at the right time anyway. 
um, or were just or were actively playing with them and had no intention to ever sell. I'm curious. Like, I'm not. I don't know if I'm curious enough to go through the like the kind of shit storm I would probably face if I announced I was doing something like that, or to pony up the money to meet with a lawyer and make sure that I've got my like ducks in a row that it's not going to be illegal when all is said and done. But I find the concept intellectually interesting, and I suspect it could be good for all parties. I, you know, I will point out here that as a as something of an observer in this scenario. I call on the question, your comment that it'd be like someone, someone is going to feel cool telling people that they own one twentieth of a Lotus. I'm not sure if I buy into that. That's, uh, all right. So, so think about timeshares. Yeah. Which are most profitable real estate schemes of all time. And it's essentially the same thing. Well, except that you get to use a timeshare. Sure. And, yeah. and the, and the Lotus you get to claim profit on. You don't get to somebody in people in discord said, well, yeah, but magic players like to hold the card. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I like, have you owned a Lotus? I did. And I looked at it a lot the first day I owned it. And then it went in the closet and it sat there for two and a half years and I barely ever pulled it out. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's no, <laughs> there's no need. Like, I'm right there with you, right? Like I have piles of awesome cards. I'm a Lotus, but I have piles of awesome cards that have not seen the light of day in a year because of, you know, why would I go look at them? But it's sort of like, I own this thing. Cool. Can you use it? No. Can you look at it? No. Okay. Like, but, but that's what makes having a Lotus cool though. Like if you have a timeshare, you get to go stay there. regardless of whether you think they're a good value, like that's still something you can do with it theoretically. If you own stocks, you don't have anything. You don't look at anything. You don't hold anything, but it's not cool. It's just like a thing you do to profit. This is like, you're trying to capture the emotional, the emotional appeal of owning something like that, but you don't actually get the emotional component of it. You have like all the, the monetary investment of, of owning it without the, the sensational pleasure of being able to own it, to be able to look at it and that type of thing. So I don't know. I, I, th- I think that as an investment vehicle, uh, at least one where you skirt SEC rules, it might be plausible. I guess I just, if I find it hard to believe that a random guy from the store is really psyched to be able to say he owns one tenth of a black Lotus that he's never seen and never will see really. Cause at that point it's just, oh, what is the point? Just it, it's fine as an investment, I think, and that, that's as much okay, as so I'm willing to buy into. Let's say that John Sasso of Channel, Fire, Channel Fireball contacts us tomorrow and offers us these slots. It's a twenty thousand dollar Lotus. He wants us to send him seven hundred dollars worth of buy list. That he's only going to credit us five hundred for. Would you do that? Well, I'd have to sit down and run the numbers. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've got a bunch of crap sitting around that I'm not doing anything with. But I wouldn't do it because I'm excited to own part of the a Channel Fireball that's in the house of a guy in California or wherever he is. Uh, I would do it because I'm saying, okay, well, I know the value here will work out for me. I have all this crap that I don't want and I can convert it into some percentage of a card into essentially a couple shares of a stock that I think will appreciate faster than this other stuff I'm sitting on. Um, or at least even if it doesn't appreciate faster, I think is a uh, requires zero effort on my part and I'm going to get paid out for this later. 
Yeah. Part part of the way I came around to this was I was trying to think through the logic surrounding the massive amount of buy listing I've been doing to Abu lately, where I'm in many ways doing the same thing, right? Like I'm consolidating, by which I mean I might have like $100,000 worth of stuff in the spec closet. I can't manage it all day to day. I only have a certain number of hours I can spend on MGG Finance every week between work, family, etc. So every few months I've been buy listing a few thousand dollars worth of stuff that is either minimizing losses, stalled out specs that aren't going anywhere, or totally legit specs that I just happen to have a lot of. So selling them through at retail is going to be slow and potentially more risky than just taking slightly less from the buy list. Um, especially if the buy list number in question is especially good, um, even after whatever their their discount, whatever discount needs to be applied to their retail numbers. And I realized that like within the next week or so, I'm going to have like the equivalent of about five or six thousand US worth of buying power with Abu, and I'm going to put it into reserve list, not a Lotus per se, um, because they're too expensive now, but probably something like beta or alpha duels or an unlimited SP mox jet or something like that. Um, and in many ways that the action of buy listing with that goal is very similar to what I'm proposing, right? The only difference is that if it's Travis Allen running, running the show instead of a vendor, it's looked at differently, but functionally it's pretty much the same thing. It's a consolidation play for the seller and the vendor is is giving you that buy list credit because it keeps their cash flow tight and allows that and they believe that the cards they're bringing in they're going to sell for more well i see so that's an interesting permutation that seems like it might have a little more value i've got like a thousand dollars or something like that in channel fireball credit that i haven't spent yet and i'm not sure what to do with at the moment now, if Channel Fireball offered a uh, portfolio where you could sink store credit into Ooh. it to purchase mm-hmm. some value of Channel Fireball's inventory or whatever it is, some, you know, they say, we own all of this crap. If you buy in it this much, blah, blah, blah. And then it's just, a, it's just someplace to just shove all my store credit. Channel Fireball gets all this money, all these cards back. They don't have to give me any money. I just own this percentage. And then there's some method of cashing out. Now it's not me dealing with some random guy where you're trying to, you know, work all this stuff out. It's like, okay, this is just, I, there's a portfolio of reserve list cards that Channel Fireball owns that I know I own a percentage of. And then at some point in the future, I can cash out and take my percentages, store credit back or money or in cards or whatever. Uh, and that seems a little more plausible, a little more workable, especially because now you have a larger entity involved. Um, as the person getting into it, I feel a little more secure with it being channel fireball rather than some, you know, if it's you, that's fine. Like truth be told, I probably trust channel fireball more than I trust you on something like that. Not because I think you're going to screw me over, but because it's really easy for like people to drift apart or whatever to forget this is going on. But like channel fireball, I can kind of assume is just going to sit there and exist and like, yeah. There's no personal animosity to get involved. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they're a corporation that has, you know, liability and lawyers and and rules they need to follow, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. And their reputation's on the line. And I think that, like, the this kind of a thing cannot be at arm's length with Mr. Nobody. Like, your trust, tr- you, the trust reduces the risk for all involved. And so 
the more public a figure is and the more their reputation is worth, the easier this thing goes. And so a major vendor, especially if it's like the head of that vendor, like sticking their neck out and saying, I'm backing this thing. Um, you know, if John Sasso does it, it's a much bigger deal than if I do it. If I do it, it's a much bigger deal than some rando. Um, so that's the spectrum that you're going to evaluate your risk. And yeah. and the buy list thing, I think we we both have seen people, even just in the few weeks that our Discord's been running, talking to each other about buying and selling credits at various stores where they've buy listed. So we know that there's a market for you know people having buy list credit and not knowing what to do with it. Um, and there's certainly uh, motivation on the vendor's side to have programs in place where they bring in a lot of cards without spending any cash. Mm-hmm. Because the premise, it's not even that one party is ripping another party off here at all. What's happening is that the vendor is saying, yeah, we already have the super expensive thing in stock, but we've had it for three years. We don't know when it will sell. We know it's going up. But in the meantime, if we could take that 20000 and get 28000 or 32000 worth of cards and churn those and flip them over a few times in in the course of the year while that Lotus is appreciating and two years later sell the Lotus and and credit people back the 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 credit bump based on however well that card does that's good for everybody involved potentially okay if, if on the if on the consumer side like you said you either have cards or credit You've either already buy listed or you're willing to buy list. And I think that you could honestly just do either if it's coming from the vendor side. I don't have a buy. I, I mean, I don't have a store for you to spend credit on or at least not one with deep enough inventory for that to be relevant. Um, you know, I might have 400 things up for sale on eBay or something, but Channel Fireball might have 40,000 um, or 400,000 for all I know. Yeah, so. Okay. It's nice that they that you might have two angles of ingress. Like you might be able to use credit or cards into credit and then take the buy list discount against that and get your share of this future thing. And like you said, maybe you can cash out at your original amount minus some penalty at some point. Now that you you, you mentioned something there that sounded like it could would be fascinating is uh Channel Fireball says, okay, we have a hundred thousand dollars of reserve list cards let me think about this for a second you you can buy a percentage of that hundred thousand dollars by sending us stuff uh then we're going to use all of we're going to use all the cards you send us and churn those for two years and keep track of how much we've profited buying and selling with all the cards that you gave to us and then at the end of two years pay you back uh but that then what do you need the reserve list cards for that's just investing in channel fireball hmm because hmm, hmm. that would be a way for them to like make use of the value that they have stored up in those cards and you get a return on the work they do i don't know i don't know it's a curious concept i don't think we're there as a whole as a community yet it doesn't seem like it's needed it doesn't feel like it's servicing anyone for the amount of effort that's involved at the moment but it's a curious concept uh and we could i wouldn't be surprised to see something that is somehow involved with this down the road some way to use your store credit on things other than just buying cards um (laughs) well let me throw let me throw a wrench in the works and this is not adding to the legality certainly 
but um you know we've seen alpha and beta starter decks be essentially raffled off razzies or whatever they're called are pretty popular on facebook groups and comics and now magic and all sorts of stuff um and it's basically betting like people are just buying raffle tickets for like a ten thousand dollar comic book 100 bucks pop 100 tickets one guy wins he gets the book everybody else loses 100 dollars um what if at the end of the lotus process you're drawing you know you got 40 shares or whatever and you have a 2.5 percent chance of winning the lotus at the end so what did you how way how is that not just doing the exact same thing how is that? well you're buying you're buying a raffle ticket for the lotus three years from now and channel fireball gets all the cards instead of cash so you're basically oh that feels the, terrible so the, <laughs> the, the corporate the core premise here is that cards are worth more to the vendors than cash the, the vendor would rather me send them $500 buy list value than $500 because $500 buy list value, they can sell for 800 or 900 or a thousand. Whereas 500 is cash only gives them $500 in purchasing power and they need cash. Cash is King. They have to have cash to run their business, but assuming that your operational costs and everything are covered card and, and you have, and your, your turnover velocity for the cards is high enough then the cards are worth more. Uh, I, I, that, so it's a lo- it's a long term raffle where they're getting your cards up front and one of you is getting the lotus down the road. Yeah, I mean that just sounds atrocious for me as the the other party here. But people are doing these um, raffles all the time, brother. No, no, but I'm saying like I'm buying a raffle ticket for three years ahead of time. Like that's the part that feels bad. Right, but the whole that, idea here is that the lotus is going to go up. If it's twenty thousand now, it might be thirty or thirty-five thousand then, or maybe it's just twenty-three thousand. But it's going to go up. Well, you know, it's not going down. So your lottery ticket might get more, va- <laughs> might get Isn't cheaper or more valuable year? depending on what angle you're looking at. <laughs> um, well, I my lotus. Did you say that's what I said about Bitcoin last year? Oh yeah. Well, I guess the the Bitcoin went down, not the lotus. Yeah, that's right. And and also I. I didn't say Bitcoin couldn't go down. I said that it's in October of 2017. I said it's going up a lot and looks like it will continue for the foreseeable future, which was true. Yeah. But I did not foresee the crash in January, February of 2018, nor did I bother to get off the train during the the various uh, resurgencies because I was so greedy for a $10,000 level that I just decided I wasn't even going to pay attention unless it broke five digits. So, yeah. You know, my greed aside, <laughs> the the premise is that it's fun to own a possible piece of the Lotus. And I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that it's a longer term thing instead of a short term thing. Um, when, when, keep, I, when keep in mind, you're not coughing up 500 bucks out of your wallet. You're sending in some cards. You might have sent them anyway. And instead of just getting the buy list credit, you're getting specifically something. So like we we know that there are people that send in buy lists and don't know what to do with them. Like I'm 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 going to spend me. a solid two hours researching what I'm getting from Abu. And if they just had a program where they're like, you can just trade this into Black Lotus at 0.54 of what you sent in, I would still be up like eighteen or twenty two percent on the specs that I sent in in that circumstance, and I could just park it in that Lotus and not worry about it. That that would be appealing. Like I would try it once at least. Well, having that sort of out would be useful. And I say that as somebody with some channel fireball credit, just because it's so low effort and essentially is a guarantee of value type of thing, because you're, you know, if you're confident in the, the card never losing value. So I like it from that 
perspective. Um, I mean, I guess you could convert that into a raffle ticket at the end of it. That still feels awful. Like, all right, I'm giving you $500 now so that three years from now, I have a 0.5% chance to win a $30,000 card. Like, all of that sounds atrocious, but I understand maybe if the the numbers worked out, it would be worth it. In any case, it's a fascinating concept. Well, and, and and think of it like this way too, right? Like how effective are most people's buy list credit conversion choices? Like I, I'm putting in a significant amount of effort. I, like I said, I'll spend a few hours figuring out what I'm going to get from Abu with my 6,000 power. I've even considered like just sending in another three or 4,000, like send some specs in a little early, take a little less and then get something really exciting. Mm-hmm. Like maybe work my way up to uh, like reclaiming my, <laughs> my Lotus or something. Um but I suspect a lot of people get jank, right? Like they, they get stuff for their cube or they buy a, a modern deck that that rotates out or they get like they get foil KCIs and then it gets banned or whatever. Like the, the market only works if most of the choices are bad. Well, definitely. Where, it, where most of the utility, perceived utility could objectively be criticized. Well, any- that's kind of like the nature of all collectibles. Almost anyone, I would say- 99% of store credit store credit not cash store credit taken on a buy list and i think that cash is overwhelmingly chosen uh 98% of store credit taken is used on cards you need you and i are absolutely in the ultra low percentage of people who send cards in for buy list credit who then buy cards that we plan on selling again there's mm-hmm. like what a thousand people in the u.s that do that if that it's low sure so but but what we're proposing here is that instead of a guy getting his 13th edh deck or pieces for that or cliff adding 500 dollars in value to his cube he gets a 2.5 percent chance at the lotus or he just gets an ownership share of the lotus like take the raffle thing back off the table if you want he's just getting a share of a lotus that's going to be sold three years from now on the like to the day and whatever the Lotus sells for, he's going to get his 500 plus the continued Well, that's value. better. Don't get me wrong. That's better for him. Is he going to do it? Uh, three years is a long time. People don't do well with delayed gratification. And I mean, if you say that it's six months, it's not long enough. So it's not It's not that it wouldn't be a good choice. I just don't. If, if they're already, if people are, if you assume that people are already making quote unquote bad choices with their store credit, this isn't going to make those choices better. If I put a $10,000 Lotus, simple, simple, simple terms, three-year three year resale, $500 slots, and I already had it in hand, and I posted it to Twitter, do you think I could fill the slots in a week? Three years. What's your guess? Three years. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm. Would you be, would you, if you had to bet on the result that I would fill it or not fill it, which way would you bet? Mm-hmm. Well, I <laughs> I would be inclined to say that you would probably get it filled, but that's because people are dumb. But <laughs> you know, it with the time if you were to do it tomorrow, it would be a novelty. It would be a novelty by somebody who is active and a kind of a voice of some sort. You know, if Joe Schmo did it, it wouldn't take off. And if no, the and the tenth person to do it probably wouldn't fill it. Yeah, and, and if I posted it in certain Facebook groups where I don't have a presence, I would be I would be Joe Schmo, and would be treated accordingly. Yes, like 
not not everybody listens to our little like four or five thousand listener podcast. So in the twenty million magic players, plenty of people don't know who we are. So yeah, if Jason Alt does it, if Jason Alt or Corbin Hosser does it, better. If uh, Evan Erman does it, probably even better. I mean. I mean, you can look at it um, and so on you can and so look forth. at it and say like, yeah, would you, if you did it, would it fill up? Yes. But who's going to buy in? It's going to be people who are all of the, the like mind, right? Like it's going, it's going to be people like me or people in our discord or Jason or, uh, you know, Ed, like people who do this type of stuff to understand it. But how many people are you going to get who don't do this type of stuff all the time? very little and it, i feel like you wouldn't really ever get that component just in the same way that like the alpha starter raffle that the what's his name did like it drew exactly the type of people who would buy an alpha starter anyways but not really anyone else does that make sense yeah i'm not sure if that's true i i think it i think it drew a lot of people that are at the higher end of the demographic, like the demographic and financial profiles for the game, um, but I'm not sure that all of them can pull in a thirty thousand dollars starter well, deck. The but I, but I agree with you that it's going to be finance minded people because everybody else will just think it's bullshit or not understand what the angle is at all. Like I mean, if you've never thought through the mechanics of buy listing and and the ebb and flow of of the value trade offs that are involved, then the whole thing just feels like. Bu- like it, when I first started playing Magic, buy list just felt like a ripoff to me. Getting offered less than something is worth the first time you encounter it. You, you don't understand the value trade off that yeah. you're making. So anybody in that boat, which is going to be a majority of players, is not even going to remotely understand. But if you kind of sort of like occasionally consume finance content, but it's not your main focus, like maybe you're you know, you're a competitive modern player or you're a vintage player or you play old school or whatever. And every once in a while you dip into the finance side to like make a smart decision. That would probably be the, but you've got a big collection and a lot of that shit's just sitting around. That would be the kind of person that might just be able to go through the list if the buy list was expansive enough and pull out a bunch of stuff they happen to have sitting around. Like you've got two copies of, of Snapcaster Mage that you got in your ultimate master's boxes, but you're not playing any blue decks in modern Maybe you throw those, you know, you realize, hey, I, I could actually, you know, I could get my share together. Like I have the cards. Um, let me spin it to you another way and then we'll wrap up. If you had the $10,000 Lotus and the terms were all laid out pretty much as I've described the simplest version and you were assured that no shenanigans would go on and that the admin overhead would be minimal, would you take in the no. cards? Like, would you give up the future value of the Lotus for getting, would you be confident that you could build a buy list that would no. beat your Lotus? It, it, would I be confident I could do it? Yes. Would I do it? No. It, it, it's a matter of, I know I would, if you're the guy selling the pieces of the Lotus, you have to be doing, you're inherently doing more work, right? That's the, that's the deal. The people selling, sending you the cards are doing less work, but they're getting the, to, to the reward of having owned something uh, and you are getting a larger reward of having owned something, but you are using their resources to do things with. Uh, but I know I wouldn't do it. Like I, other, other things would take yeah. up my I mean, time for- and I just, I wouldn't do it the way I would need to. I'd be capable of it, but unless all of the numbers had an extra zero behind them, it, I probably just wouldn't bother as much as I needed to. My standard demo would be to spend way too much time figuring out how to make it work. And then not bother because it seems like too much effort after I've spent four times that much effort perfecting the system. Uh, yeah, also right there with you. <laughs> 
Anyway, um, if other people have thoughts on that, feel free to fill them in in the ProTrader Discord. Um, and uh, we'll see if anybody else has any uh, insights that push that a little further down the path. All right. So now that we're at the end of two hours and James has ensured that I'm going to be tired at work tomorrow, uh, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. And I am again Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B U M P I N. And you will find me every Monday, uh, including this morning, over on MTG Price doing the Watchtower series and occasionally in the Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management tools and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the episode end of episode 151. Uh, it was good conversation at the very least. Um, Looking forward to next week at some point. I have a ski trip this weekend, so we're going to have to talk about scheduling, but I will be available eventually. Uh, we also have a couple things in mind for year four. Uh, we are about five weeks away from starting our fourth year in MTG Finance. We'll see We'll see what comes of it, but we're hoping to have something kind of cool for you guys when we get there. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.